Well, I hope we can say it's well with our soul this morning. What a blessed time to praise the Lord in song, to worship Him. And now we come to worship Him in the Word of God. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 27. We are almost finished with the book of Acts. been walking through Acts for quite some time now, only two chapters left. And Acts 27, where we pick up, we did the Lord's Supper last week, so we weren't in Acts, but several months before that we've been walking through each chapter in Acts. Acts 27 is a long chapter as Paul sails for Rome, sails through an incredible storm that ends with a shipwreck at the, at the island of Malta. We're going to preach all of chapter 27 in a single sermon. Don't get too excited. Cameron often makes fun of me because I don't preach big chunks of text, so I'm excited today to say I'm going to preach all of 27 in a single sermon. Amen. But I'm only going to give you half today and half next week. <laughs> but technically it is a single sermon. We'll give you two points today, two points next week, four points. Over the past five chapters, we have seen Paul as he was mobbed and beaten in the court in Jerusalem, the temple courts. And then as that was happening, he was arrested by the Roman garrison there. And then we followed Paul through two years of several trials before the Jewish leaders, before two different Roman governors, Felix and Festus, before King Agrippa. And we saw Felix put him in prison and he stayed there for two years until the next trial came up. So we followed him through this long time of imprisonment and trials and all of these things going on. And in chapter 26, at the end of chapter 26, we saw that Paul ex exercised his right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar before Festus. And then he was brought before King Agrippa to try to find some charges Festus could bring with him to Caesar. And so now Paul is on his way to Rome. He is being sent to Rome because he appealed his case to Caesar. And chapter 27 chronicles the journey to Rome. So what we're going to do is we're going to read 20 verses right on the front end because I want you to see what happens in this journey and get kind of the picture in your mind before we take this text and dissect it together. So in chapter 27, verse 1, it says this, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, this, they just got done with the trial before Festus and Agrippa, and he said if this guy wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, he could have been set free. But he's not free, he's going to Rome. When it was decided they should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. Asia there is the Roman province of Asia, Turkey. Uh, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. That's Paul's traveling companion mentioned in Colossians. The next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, which means under shelter from the wind of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete at Salmone. 
Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority, the majority of people on the ship, decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, about 40 miles away, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, supposing they'd got one they wanted, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, the little lifeboat, the little dinghy that was being towed along. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is the introductory remarks of the journey that Paul goes on. And what we're going to see as we walk through this, all the way to the end of the chapter, it's going to end in shipwreck. It's going to end in shipwreck at the island of Malta. There's a lot happening here in this chapter, but there's a lot happening just in the first 20 verses of the chapter as well. We're going to, we're going to go through 26 today and do the rest next week, but I wanted you to see all in one snapshot this journey that they're on and the storm that overtakes them. So the fact that he's going to Rome, that shouldn't be surprising to us at all. Way back in chapter 23, as Paul was in a cell waiting in Jerusalem for the first of his many trials, Jesus came to him. You remember? It said back in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So even way back in chapter 23, Paul had a promise. Jesus told him, you're going to Rome and you're going to testify in Rome just as you've testified for me here in Jerusalem. And now we see at the beginning of chapter 27, he's on his way. At this point, you would think, well, finally, God has fulfilled his word. Jesus is fulfilling his word to Paul. He told him way back in Jerusalem that you would go to Rome and now it's been two years worth of waiting in Caesarea and before Felix and before Festus and before Agrippa and all this stuff, and now finally it's happening. Finally, we can, we can say, well, thank goodness it's going on. I'm going to Rome, leaving all the difficulties of these trials behind and the prison and the governors and all this stuff. Finally, the ordeal's over. But that's really not how it works, is it? And that's not what God promised. This won't be an easy journey. 
It'll be through trial and storm and shipwreck and much heartache. Through the first 20 verses, we find that the promise of God, God's promise doesn't mean that the journey is going to be easy. Did you notice in the first eight verses, we're not going to go back and read them again, but we're going to start in verse 9. But if you notice in the first eight verses, it seemed like at every turn along this journey, the wind was against them, making the journey difficult. In verse 4, it said they put out to sea, and there they sailed under the lee of Cyprus. Why? Because the winds were against us. In verse 7, it says the same thing. The wind did not allow us to go further, so we stopped here. In verse 8, it says they coasted along with much difficulty to this port called Fair Havens in, in, in Crete. So, hold on just a minute. Jesus told Paul that he would get to Rome, that he would go to Rome and testify. The Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage, you're going to get to Rome, you're going to testify there just as you testified to, to me in Jerusalem. And now he's on his way to Rome. He's on mission. He's in the center of God's will. He's going where God told him to go, doing what God told him to do. And he's been faithful through all the trials. We saw it before Felix, before Festus, before Agrippa. He's been faithful, following the will of God, being the witness that Jesus called his disciples to be way back in Acts chapter 1, the theme of the book of Acts. Be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other ends of the earth. Paul's doing that. But from the beginning of this journey... From the moment they set sail, not technically the moment they set sail, but all through the first leg of this journey, the very wind that Jesus controls, we've seen Him still the storm in the Gospels, seems like it's against Him. Why doesn't God just turn the wind off? I mean, I'm going to Rome. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm being as faithful as I know how. Why doesn't He just help this journey along? I mean, Paul has already been through so much in the book of Acts. I doubt he would say this, but I'd be asking, God, is it too much to ask for a break? I mean, just a break here in the wind, that'd be nice. Paul's already been through all this stuff with the trials and the beatings and the mobbings and all of this, and now I'm doing what you told me to do. Can you not please just turn the wind off for a little while? If God's in control, why does everything seem like it's working against me to do what God has called me to do? And then it goes from bad to worse. Not only is he at the mercy of the wind, or so it seems, Paul is at the mercy of other people's bad decisions. They reach this harbor at Fair Havens in Crete. And then in verse 9, it says, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also our lives. By the time they get to Fair Havens, the months for sailing had already passed. According to the Roman writer Vegetius, it says it was dangerous to sail after mid-September and sailing in the Mediterranean completely ceased from November to March because of the storms. And here, Luke notes for us that the fast was already over. By fast, he's talking about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was late September, early October. So as they're in port at Fair Havens, Paul says, excuse me, it's too dangerous to start this journey off right now. It's too dangerous to continue in through the winter months. If we press on, we're going to lose the ship, we're going to lose the cargo, we're going to lose our lives. This, this is not Paul giving a divine prophecy of what's going to happen. We know they're not going to lose their lives. 
He's just using common sense as an experienced traveler. Paul has sailed a lot in the book of Acts. By this time, he's already written 2 Corinthians, in which he said, I was part of three shipwrecks already. Paul knows what he's talking about. But Paul, the prisoner on the ship, he's not in control. He's seemingly at the mercy of other people's decisions. In verse 11, it says, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea. The majority, the people on the ship, decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And we know what happens because we read the verses. This is a bad decision. This decision leads them right into the storm. So look at what we have. Jesus made Paul a promise. You will get to Rome. He made a declarative statement. You will testify in Rome just as you testified here in Jerusalem. And we know God's promises, God's declarations are sure and certain and God is in control. But so far in this journey, there's been nothing but difficulty. First, from the wind that opposed them and made the journey difficult. And now the people on the ship refuse to listen to Paul and he's at the mercy of their bad decision getting taken into the storm. If they would have listened to Paul, they wouldn't have encountered this storm that ultimately leads to the shipwreck. So Paul, the promise bearer of God, gets into this violent storm and experiences yet another shipwreck because of other people's bad decisions. Getting in the storm is not Paul's fault, but he's going to get caught in it anyway. I would be thinking, God, I know your word's true. I know that nothing can thwart your purpose, but come on. Every obstacle imaginable is getting thrown in my way. What's going on here? Well, we know from Acts 23, and we'll see it again momentarily, God promises Paul that he's going to get to Rome safely. But what he didn't promise Paul was that it would be easy sailing on the way. He didn't tell Paul that the journey would be comfortable. He didn't tell him you're going to be suntan lotioning yourself by the pool on this big cruise ship. He didn't say there wouldn't be difficulty. He just said, I'm going to bring you to your destination safely. So right now, in this moment, even with all of this difficulty with the wind and these people making decisions that are bad decisions, ultimately leading to the wreck of the ship, Paul is right where God wants him to be. Now that's a hard thing to see when everything seems against you. That's a hard thing to see when you feel like you're at the mercy of other people's decisions or the mercy of elements you can't control. But difficulties and obstacles don't mean that God has forgotten His Word. To Paul or to us as believers in Christ. God has not forgotten His Word. He is not failing to keep His promise. Just because the winds are against you doesn't mean you're not where God wants you to be if you're being His witness and you're following after His will. Paul is right where God wants him to be right here, and Paul is right where God wants him to be even when the storm hits. In verse 13, it says this, now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. 
But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. So Paul has been at the mercy of the wind this whole time. Then he was at the mercy of other people's bad decisions, putting his life in jeopardy. And now he's at the mercy, it seems, of this violent, uncontrollable storm. The ESV says a tempestuous wind. That word is the word we get our word typhoon from. Now, I don't know if it was a full-fledged funnel cloud or, or, or not, but Luke is describing a volatile, dangerous storm, especially for a first century ancient ship. And this storm was so common during the winter months on the Mediterranean that they had a name for it. The sailors called it a northeaster. It would blow down from the northeast, and a low-pressure front created this big, huge storm. It still happens today in central and the western Mediterranean, but now they call it a gregale. And when it hit, they were at its mercy. They were getting blown about by the wind, and they couldn't drive into it. And verse 15 tells us they just gave way to it. They gave way to it and let it drive them along. And then they started frantically doing all that they knew to do. The first thing they did was secure the ship's boat, the little lifeboat, the little landing boat that was being towed along. And then it says, after hoisting <clears throat> excuse me, that boat up, they used supports to undergird the ship. This is what's called frapping. They would run ropes or chains underneath the hull and then tie them off to keep all the wood together to keep the boat from busting apart in the waves and the wind and all that stuff. The wind was blowing them so violently, in fact, they didn't know where they were. We're going to see here in a moment that they couldn't see the sun or the stars. The wind was blowing them so violently, it says that they feared that they would run aground on the Sirtis. The Sirtis is basically the shoals and the sandbars in the, in the Gulf of Sidra, right off the coast of Libya. They didn't know where they were, but all they know, the wind's blowing us this way. And so it says, because they were afraid of that, they lowered the gear. We're not sure what the gear is. It's probably some kind of drift anchor to slow the ship down, but even that doesn't help. It says, they lower the gear and thus were driven along. And 18 says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day. Remember, the storm's still going on. The next day, they start throwing out the cargo. They start throwing out the reason why they're on this boat. They're prophets. It shows you their desperation throwing their profits overboard. But at this point, they're just trying to save their lives. And then the day after that, the storm is still raging. And in verse 19, it says, On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. The word that's translated tackle in the ESV is actually the same word that's translated gear two verses earlier. So whatever it was they put down before, they just chunked out of the boat now. And so they're throwing this stuff overboard, the gear, the tackle, the, the cargo, all of this stuff. They're just chunking it out. They're trying to lighten the ship so that it would ride higher on the waves, be less likely to take on water and sink. All of this activity is exactly what you're supposed to do. It's exactly what you're supposed to do to keep from dying in a big storm. These were experienced sailors that were doing this. <clears throat> but the storm just wouldn't let up. In verse 20 it says, When neither the sun nor stars had appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. 
They went days without seeing the sun or the stars. You know what that means? They have no way to tell where they are. No way to navigate. Have n- all they know is that the wind is pushing them all around. They have no way. They're lost at sea. They're now on a ship with no gear, no rigging, no sun and no stars to navigate by, no landmarks to guide them, and they're still being beaten relentlessly by the storm. And everyone on the boat comes to realize, we're all going to die. Well, everyone except one person. But before we look at how Paul keeps his courage, how Paul trusts in God through this, make sure you understand something. Jesus stilled the storm and calmed the sea for the disciples in the Gospels. And he's able to do it again. With a single word, he's able to stop it just like that. But in this voyage, there won't be any miraculous stilling of the storm. There won't be any miraculous stopping of the wind and the waves. This journey is going to end in a shipwreck. But that doesn't change the fact that Paul is on this journey. Paul is on this ship because of the will of God. He is on this ship because God put him here. He is on mission for Christ and being obedient. Paul is not here on this ship because of his sin. Paul is not Jonah. He's the opposite of Jonah. He's going exactly where God told him to go. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. And still his journey is fraught with trial and suffering and difficulty and storm. Church, when we're being a witness... The point of the book of Acts, when we're doing what we're called to do, when we're obeying Christ's commission that He gave to His church, it doesn't mean that your journey is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that storms and trials no longer hit. They most certainly will. The Bible says through many tribulations will enter the kingdom. But even when you feel like things are completely out of control, when the winds are against you, when other people's decisions seem to decide your path, even when the thunder's rolling and the lightning is flashing and the rains of this life pour down in sheets, when you can't see the sun and you can't see the stars to navigate or to guide by, there is a God who is in control. There is a God whose word stands above all and who has given promises to His children. And there's no force in heaven or earth that will thwart God's word from coming to pass. The truth is that Paul is just as safe on this ship in the middle of this storm as he would be if he was sitting by a pool on a carnival cruise line on the way to Italy. Why? Because he bears the promise of God. Jesus told him, you will get to Rome. You will get to Rome safely because he's expected to testify there. And that is the anchor that Paul holds on to through all this devastation. And that's the anchor that we must hold on to. God's promise. Look at this. This is the verses we haven't read yet. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred or gained this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. Your translation may say, be of good courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now it's understandable why they haven't eaten. Up to this point, they've spent every moment fighting the storm and trying not to die. And now 
There's nothing else to do. Verse 20 said they lost all hope. There's no way we're going to be saved. So at this point, Paul the prisoner stands up among them. And from this point in the account through the rest of the chapter, Paul takes charge of the situation. He says, first, you guys should have listened to me and you wouldn't have gained this loss. Paul takes the opportunity to say, I told you so, which actually gives me a little hope for my gift of sarcasm. But his main intent is to say, I've proven that I know what I'm talking about, so listen to me now. And then in the middle of this terrifying storm, when, now this is, you know, it's hard for us to picture a storm like this. I've been in a couple of hurricanes, and it's, it's different than just a thunderstorm. They're rocking back and forth, big, huge waves are taking the boat up and down, slamming again. All this is going on, and Paul looks at these guys and says, oh, take heart, guys. Be of good courage. It's going to be okay. Are you kidding? He says, look at it, just, just take courage. Be, be, of good, be of good cheer. What does he say? Take heart, take heart. And look at the reason. We're going to lose the ship. Yes, we're all going to lose the ship. We're going to wreck. But no life is going to be lost, is what he says. And now Paul, in the final verses that we're going to read today, will tell them how he knows that no life is going to be lost. And as he does so, what we see is what Paul is trusting in, in the middle of this storm. He shows us... When he tells them how he knows no life is going to be lost, he shows us how he's able to maintain his hope in the storm. How he's able to maintain his composure when everyone else has given up in despair. It's because he's holding on to the only thing that is sure and steady. His anchor is the promise of God. Verse 23 says, For this very night, this is Paul speaking, Take heart, because this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship or serve, your translation may say. And he said, do not be afraid. This is what the angel told Paul. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. Why must he stand before Caesar? Because in Acts 23, Jesus told him, you're going to Rome. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That's how he knows no life is going to be lost. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. I bet he said that part real quick. First, I want to show you, Paul knows to whom he belongs. He says, an angel of God came to me. The God that I belong to, the God that I worship, the God that I serve, Paul knows the one true God, the God who controls this storm that we're in. And he knows that he belongs to this God. What a peace that must be. Knowing that my Father, the God who loves me, the God who saved me, the God who controls all things, including all these waves and all this wind and all this rain, I belong to Him. I'm His and He's mine. None of this that you're looking at here, he would tell the people on the ship, is beyond his reach or beyond his control. My Father is above all. And then he tells this man, the God I belong to, the God I worship, the God I serve, he's given me his word, his promise, that I'm going to get to Rome. That's the same promise Jesus made to him in Acts 23. God had not forgotten his word. He's reminding Paul of it through an angel. 
God had not forgotten His Word, nor abandoned His Word, nor gone back on His Word. Even though this situation seems utterly hopeless for anybody that's in the middle of it, the promise that was made back in Acts 23.11 when Paul was in his cell is nonetheless true, and God is still holding to His Word. God reminds Paul, Paul, remember, you've got a promise from me. And then look at this, it says, The angel tells Paul that God has granted him all those who are sailing with him. Now, without going into all the minutia, the way this is phrased, it seems that Paul had been praying for the lives of the people on the ship with him. And here God is answering that prayer through this angel. God has given you. God has granted you what you've asked for. God has granted you the lives of all these people. Paul is the only person on this ship that is promised to reach Rome alive. But during the storm, when the boat's being beaten and battered, when all hope is lost, this promise bearer of God is pleading to God for the lives of all these pagans that are on board. Do you understand how amazing that is? When people are going through trials and sufferings and pain, fearful circumstances, it's just our natural tendency to just simply turn inward to focus on ourselves, to focus on your own comfort, your own good, your own way of coping with whatever difficulty it is you're going through. We say things like, well, I've been through enough, man. I deserve some time for me. I deserve a break from all this. Why do I have to go through all of this? Why does life have to be so hard all the time? And what we do is we put our mission that Christ has given us on hold. We put our mission on hold. It's so easy to drift away from serving Christ in the great commission that He's given us when there's a storm raging all around you because we say, what about me? And here you see the Apostle Paul caught in a storm because of other people's bad decisions. And he's caught in a storm that God could stop if He wanted to. But for some unknown reason, He doesn't. And through it all, you find Paul interceding for the lives of these people on board. You find Paul speaking God's word to them. In the next section, we're going to see Paul ministering to them, comforting them, encouraging them. And that's what it means to live a life on mission for Christ. To be faithful regardless of the circumstances that you're in because you know my God is in control and I belong to Him. Now, Nobody amen, but that's okay. It's obvious that you agree with that. you got to agree with that. We're to be faithful no matter what. But boy, how easy is that to say when you're behind one of these and I'm not going through much difficulty right now. It's pretty simple for me to stand up here and say, well, look, I know you're going through hard times, but just be faithful. It's all going to be okay. It's easy to do when you're not the one going through difficulty. So what I want to know is how. I want to know how I do this because I know my heart. My heart's no different than any of y'all's. I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not devoted enough. I'm not faithful enough. When, when trials and temptations and tribulations and storms and all those things hit, I'm just like everybody else. I turn inward. What about me? Stop this. I want out of this trial. I want out of this thing. Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I turn inward. So tell me how to do it. How are we supposed to be faithful like this when everything inside me is not? The text tells us how. We're told the anchor that Paul holds on to. We're told the anchor that gives him grace and peace 
in the midst of this. We're told what keeps him calm in this storm. To have hope when everything seems lost. It's because he trusts in what God has said. You see it? Verse 25. Take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. No, I can't see it. I don't know where the sun is. I don't know where the stars is. I don't know where the boat is in the middle of the sea. I have no idea what to do next. But I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. The promises that He has made to me will come to pass. It doesn't matter that every sign points to the contrary. It doesn't matter that it looks like we're not going to survive this voyage. It doesn't matter that many of the people on this ship, including Paul, had already been in shipwrecks where certainly people had probably died. God had given His word. Not a single life is going to be lost here. And for Paul, that settled the issue. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So while everyone else has lost all hope, and given up in this storm. Paul stands hopeful, faithful, even ministers to them. He's going to force them, not force them, but he's going to make them eat later on through this crisis. Because I have hope in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. I wonder what our lives would be if this statement defined us in every situation. I know that I belong to God, and I have faith that it will be just as I've been told. Now make sure you understand, God hasn't promised you you're going to survive every storm. And you're going to go be with the Lord one day, just like Paul one, one day went to be with the Lord. So he hasn't, he hasn't said, don't worry, I'm going to keep all the storms and trials away from you. Or your, your, your physical life is protected through He hasn't given you that promise. But he has given you precious and perfect promises. He's told you, I'm with you. He's told you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He told you, I'm working all things for good for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. He's told you, if you're in Christ, that you have an eternal reward in Christ that's undefiled and won't fade away, kept for you in heaven. He's told you that He will supply your every need according to His riches and glory. He's told you, I am your shield and your great reward. He's promised you so many things. And, and Paul himself, in the letter to the Corinthians says that all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. And that is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen, let it be so, to God for His glory. In the middle of the storm, we can say, let it be so, because all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, if you belong to Him, you are the promise bearer of God. But that doesn't mean your journey is going to be easy. But it will mean that you're going to arrive safely to your destination. Paul wasn't told, hey, your journey is going to be sweet and it's going to be nice and it's going to be a cool breeze. No, he just said, you're going to get to Rome. God hasn't promised that you're going to have a sweet, easy life with no difficulty, no trials, no storms. But if you are in Christ, he is going to bring you safely home for He has promised to do so. So really the question is, do you belong to Him? Do you belong to Christ? Have you given Him your heart and life, trusted in Him? If you have and you know you belong to Christ and you've been born again by the Spirit of God, 
you have perfect promises that are sure to come to pass, no matter what, no matter what the situation looks like. But church believers, we, we need to adjust our thinking. We need to set our hearts on the fact that Jesus is better than having the sea calm down for us. Jesus is better than all my trials to go away. Jesus is better than the comforts of this life that I long for. Jesus is better, His presence, knowing that I am in Him and He is with me and the Spirit of God dwells in me and I have this inheritance that is, is kept for me undefiled in the heavens. That's better than God taking all my trials away and me having a nice comfy life. Jesus is better than all the things in this world. He is my shield and my great reward. Only when we think that way can we say, you know, I don't understand this storm. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't know what's next. But I have faith in God that it will be just as He has told me. Let the storm come if that's His will. Now, if you don't belong to Him, if you've never trusted in Him, if you haven't been born again by the Spirit of God, entrusted your life to Christ, entrusted your soul to His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin, there is no words I can say to you today that would amount to take heart. There is no hope. There's nothing I can say to you to make you feel better in your storm. There's no encouragement that I can give to you. Life is going to be hard and then you will die. Nobody smiled, but that's okay. That's a little rough. There's nothing that I can say to you. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. If you trust in Him, if you give your heart and life to Him and are born again, then you have the only sure hope that there is in this life, that you will reach your destination safely. Give your heart and life to Him today. That is our only anchor. It's our only hope, and we're going to see next week it's the only peace that we can have in the middle of this storm. Let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, God. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that you would speak to their heart, that you would draw them to you, that you would just show them the payment that you have made in sending the Son to die on the cross, to be buried, to be resurrected from the dead to be our substitute, our perfect lamb, our sacrifice, payment for our sin. God, I pray that you would call us all to yourself, that we would repent of our sin, that we would trust in the provision that you have made, that we would trust in your son, that we would trust in the atonement that you have given. Father, and that you would, that you would save souls. Lord, for those that are believers in here, I pray, God, you would give us a heart that is on mission for you to be a witness wherever you've placed us, no matter what the circumstances, God. We fail so often, all of us do. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to hold to your truth, to hold to your word, to hold to your promise, God, to trust in you over what our eyes can see and what we feel. God, help us to be faithful. We do love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here. I would love for you to come. I'd love to pray with you. Most important thing you can do today is trust in Jesus. Will you stand with me?